Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. I'm, yeah, I'm, and, and, and I actually think that starting a company is, is in a different category. Um, you know, if, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to start a software company or you want to start a restaurant or a brewery or whatever, you know, whatever, what landscape business, whatever it might be, um, I would say that is in a different category because you, you're, you're, you're controlling your own fate in that case. But what I've seen so many people of my generation um, I just turned 60 in the last couple of months and people who are, who are in my generation face an immense amount of age discrimination. And so if you lose your job and you're in your late, even your early fifties, but certainly your later fifties or into your sixties, it's really tough to get another job that pays the same as the job you left. However, if you follow this philosophy that I've been following of the portfolio theory, multiple income streams, multiple things that you like to do, do the stuff where you add value. I think I could be working until they carry me out of the studio toes first, you know, 90 years old and he's still going strong. That's how I feel. Um, and that's what my goal is because I don't want to sit in a rocking chair or go out and work in the garden all day. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. And actually it gets me onto a, a vein that I, I've heard you talk about before around your health and really taking yeah. control of your health and, the vitality that you have now in life. Can you talk to us a little bit about your health journey and what you do now to really stay so fit and energetic as a, a fresh 60 year old? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, when I was in my very late forties, I was not healthy. I was not exercising regularly, well, at least not in any significant way. Um, I love to surf. You see a surfboard next to me and I was doing some surfing then, but I would get winded. I wasn't able to do the kind of surfing I wanted to do. Uh, and when I hit my almost literally my 50th birthday that day, I'm like, oh, my God, I need to change something. Um, I saw my doctors for what I call my 50,000 mile checkup. And and my doctor said, you know what, you're you're a little overweight and you're not very healthy and I might have to put you on some um, blood, um, blood pressure medication. And my wife said, you're not as healthy as you used to be. So anyway, long story short, I decided to, to change things. And at that time uh, I'm six feet tall. And at that time I weighed about 212 pounds. I am now uh, 150, and, uh, I, um, I exercise every single day. Um, and if I miss a day, I double the next day. So I, I do a very wide mixture of things I do. Today, I actually did Pilates. Yesterday, I swam 3,000 yards. Um, the day before, I believe, was weights. The day before that, I'm pretty sure was yoga. I can't remember beyond that. Um, uh, when I'm near waves, I surf, I mountain bike, I hike. Um, uh, I, love, I love all of those things, but I love to mix it up. And 
all of all that I was reading about exercise suggests that there's nothing wrong with doing the same thing all the time. Like if you love to run and you run an hour a day, that's great. Don't stop. But everything I'm reading is that the more you mix it up, the better it is. So I'm constantly using different muscles. And then I also very careful about what I eat. And, um, you know, for, in order to go, in order to drop 60 pounds, it was real simple. No bread, no starch. So no bread, no pasta, no rice, no beer. And it took me a little bit more than a year to drop 60 pounds. I now will eat those things, but in moderation. Um, although I don't, I don't do beer anymore. Um, and, um, I do red wine. That's, that's my, um, my tipple of choice. Uh, and, and, and I eat healthy. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's natural foods, it's, um, lots of vegetables, um, lean meat, lean fish and so on. And man, it, it makes me feel a hell of a lot better. And, and because I do a lot of what we're doing right now, whether it's on a video podcast or being interviewed by, um, you know, whatever CNN, whatever it might be, or doing virtual events here in my own studio or at other people's studios like Tony Robbins, I, I need to project that um, youth and vigor because there are people who are way younger than me who speak on similar topics as I do. Um, and one way to remain um, viable in this work I do is to be energetic and to look perhaps a little bit younger than I might be. And that's why I need to keep focusing on these things. Besides the fact, of course, that I live a much better life now that I'm healthy than I did before. That's really powerful because I think, especially in this virtual setting, as we aren't, you know, walking in and shaking somebody's hand and as we've got to maintain our own vitality and livelihood in this digital engagement that we have, uh, what we put in, how we treat our body, how we fuel our body is so, so critical. And talk to me about, you know, one of the new books that that you just came out with uh, really talks about creating outstanding virtual events. And we'll we'll link this in the show notes for folks uh, on standout virtual events. And uh, I think many of the sellers that I work with are, are presenting online as well. And there's a really funny video that I'll link off to for folks on virtual backgrounds and your thoughts there. But yeah. talk to me about how you think sellers can show up really effectively or how they need to think about that in today's virtual age and, and how they can really create these great events for their prospects, for the, the customers and folks that they work with. So for the past, geez, nearly 30 years, uh, I've seen, as have you, so many businesses make the transition from offline to online and totally screwing it up. The reason that they screw it up is they take what they know and understand in an offline world and try to bring it into the online world. So here's some examples. The newspaper business. The newspaper business tried to go from what they knew, printing newspapers and delivering them to people's doors uh, and putting them onto newsstands and turn that into a digital business and they essentially completely failed. And um, Craigslist or Google or others were the ones that ended up succeeding. Um, or think about marketing, right? And marketing was is even more interesting to me because I'm in marketing. But 
the advertising agencies that were incredibly successful leading up to this online revolution tried to make the shift and couldn't because they treated everything as an advertising metaphor. Um, you know, they were great at TV ads and magazines ads and radio ads and billboards and all that stuff. And then trying to transform to the web, they made everything about advertising. And it was people like me and people like HubSpot that understood, no, it's about content. It's about creating great content. Um, and I'm seeing it yet again um, with the pandemic erasing all in-person events and we go to digital events um, or virtual events, depending on what you want to call it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening again, because what was happening was that is that organizations were saying, oh, we always have our annual conference. Let's just do our annual conference virtually. So they were taking what they know which is a theatrical experience. And that's what an in-person event is. It's a theatrical experience and cramming that theatrical experience into a Zoom room. And it doesn't work. You have to completely reimagine what's possible. Much like HubSpot reimagined what's possible around digital information, rather than just taking what was already known about advertising, which would have failed, HubSpot did, has been doing great, $30 billion market cap this morning, which is ridiculous. Um, and same thing is true with virtual events, is that you have to reimagine what's possible. It's a, it's a video experience. It's a small screen. It's gestures are important. Um, the So many different aspects of what makes these kinds of events great. And rather than a 45-minute keynote, which works in an in-person event, a theatrical experience, if it's a great keynote presenter, they, they bring theater into that event. This is more around what a network television show might be. It's very short segments. It's a very short interview segment of five minutes going to a, a pre-recorded video of two minutes going to somebody talking directly to a camera um, for five minutes and bang, 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 bang to keep the audience interested. Um, so I ended up writing a book about that. And um, it was actually an experiment for me because I've never written a quickie book like that before. Um, I wrote it in two months. I ended up publishing it myself on, on Amazon, which I hadn't done before. Um, came out both as a print on demand as well as an ebook. Um, and it was the first book post pandemic that came out about virtual events. And what I love, here's a sort of a marketing thing or a sales thing is I, I, I first did a search on Amazon for the word virtual event. And there were a few sort of oddball hits for that phrase, virtual events. But now I titled this book, Standout Virtual Events and um, How to Create an Experience Your Audience Will Love. 
And uh, and now I, I don't know about this second if you were to do it, but if you go to Amazon, type in the phrase virtual events, um, guess what pops up number one? And that's me. That's my book. So I don't know how a mere mortal like me could get the number one listing on Google for the phrase virtual events. Um, pretty much impossible. However, one of the most important search engines on the planet is the Amazon search engine. And if you're clever, produce a little book like that, all of a sudden you can own the search engine results on Amazon for a phrase like virtual events. And it's said uh, the book is selling well. And every month I get free money that comes, I call it mailbox money. It just comes into the mailbox, not literally, it goes into my bank account, but um, from this book that I wrote now almost a year ago. It's thanks to help from listeners like you, this podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks. Thanks.